It's good to be able to open your word, or God's word, <laughs> and uh, look at it together. And uh, Have you ever noticed how quickly life can change? One minute, life is happy-go-lucky, and the next minute, it's tragedy. I've been right on the verge of that many times in my life, and uh, far more than probably I know. For instance, one second we were driving down the road, and the next we were looking at headlights of an out-of-control car heading right at us. And only a split-second response saved our lives. The second, one second, you're carefree. The next, your boat is piled up on a rock. Lately, I've been watching a, a YouTube channel that documents life in prison and interviews prisoners. Many of them talk about how in just a moment, in just the moment it takes to, to make a dumb decision, their life was changed forever. Freedom, or from freedom to many years in prison. Last week in my message I mentioned how life, is so, uh, life so often plays for keeps the lures and enticements of our natural desires can lead us right into a trap or a snare from which we ourselves cannot escape. This is what those in prison find out when the strong arm of the law catches up with them. The Apostle Peter is writing to us in 2 Peter about the dangers of false teachers. false teachers that sneak in among us. Those who teach to our natural desires rather than the desires that the Holy Spirit has for us. If you feed the natural, you reap the natural. If you, you, if you feed to the Spirit of God, you, you reap the Spirit of God. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 teach us this very thing. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Mess that one up. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. With the advent of the internet and all its podcasts, its YouTubes and other forums, it's real easy to be listening to things that feed the, the natural in us. The Bible calls this the flesh. In last week's message from 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, that I titled, 
false teachers, deception at work. Peter warned of their certainty, their deception, their methods and their motives, and their destruction. God assures us that their judgment is certain. This might be hard for us to imagine as we can see the crowds, maybe the glitz and the glamour in their seeming success. We can easily be caught up in these things if we're not discerning. We continue on in 2 Peter today, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As Peter continues further, further on with this idea of God's judgment, So, let's read 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10. I'll start with verse 3, actually. It, uh, it uh, gives a little context. And in their greed, the false teachers, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flaw brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And this is a hard section of your word, and I pray that you would use it to, to bring us reality when it comes to facing you. And we will ultimately face you one day. So I pray that you would, you would speak to our hearts, cause us to Seek you, learn and grow in you. So I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. My message this week I've titled, God's Judgment, Warning and Reassurance. Peter recounts God's track record of judgment in order to warn and reassure. He warns the wicked of God's judgment by that brought upon the angels, the ancient world, 
and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he reassures the righteous of rescue by that given to Noah and to Lot. Now I realize this outline is a bit more complex than others. <laughs> it looks like it could be two sermons. And it certainly could be, but it won't. And it won't be two hours long either. So let's, let me start with my title and my summary statement there. God's judgment, warning and reassurance. Peter recounts God's track record of judgment in order to warn and reassure. This passage is really one long run-on if-then sentence that begins with if in verse 4 and concludes in verse 9 with then. If God did not spare, in verse 4, then the Lord knows how, in verse 9. This passage is all about a warning to the wicked, but a reassurance to the righteous. There is a God-given sense of justice within all of us that makes us concerned that people would be treated fairly in life. We don't want to see anyone get away with something unless it's us. And then we call it, and then, and then we can all of a sudden have a sense of entitlement. And that is not God-given. This sense of justice becomes more and more acute the longer we perceive someone is getting away with something and the, the more we see them abuse other people. This is what this passage is addressing. To the wicked, and in this context, false teachers, there will be judgment. To the godly, there will be rescue from this wicked world. There will be justice at the end of the day. It's a warning and a reassurance. Peter does this by recounting three instances when God brought judgment and in two of these how God rescued the godly out of that judgment. And so let's take a look. As Peter warns the wicked of God's judgment by that brought upon the angels. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. It begins, for if. This would better be translated since, as there is not a question as to whether God did this. He did it. And Peter is using it as a warning. This is a fascinating, albeit a scripturally obscure account of what Peter actually has in mind. And I'll start the detailing of this 
from Jude chapter, or Jude verse 6. Jude writes, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. This verse adds some understanding to what Peter means by when the angels sinned. This is different from when the angels were all cast out of heaven in Satan's original heavenly rebellion. Because not all angels are chained in gloomy dungeons. Most perhaps are not bound. They are free to work Satan's deceptions in this world, even today. Jude 6 seems to be referencing something that took place in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. A, pa a passage that is strange to us. And it reads, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. Now that is strange. As the sons of God take wives from the daughters of men, sons of God is an Old Testament term for angels. Continuing, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, that is the giants, were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God, that is angels, came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. That's more strange stuff there. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, these angels had crossed a boundary that, had, that God had set for them. They had lustful intimate relations with beautiful women and in this way brought irreparable corruption to the human race. Interpreting Peter's meaning this way from this passage was a very familiar understanding to the Jewish world. Their extra-biblical writings detailed this out in this way. The book of Enoch, which was widely known by the Jews, goes into much detail about Genesis chapter 6, this Genesis chapter 6 passage. And it is from this that Peter is drawing his allusions. Biblically, much of these details are lost to us, but have been given to us to this extent. 
These angels, Peter said, were cast into hell. The Greek word means the deepest, darkest pit. The deepest part of hell reserved for the worst. And they were chained in gloomy darkness. The, alter, the alternate reading is, is pits of gloomy darkness. Certainly a place of deepest distress until God judges them finally. These were angels that despised God's authority and totally served their own defiling purposes. Truly a sober warning to people who do the same. And so second, Peter warns the wicked of God's judgment by that brought upon the ancient world. If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. This is a familiar story of Noah's flood. The corruption that began with the angels' sin of begetting children by the daughters of men seems to have become so pervasive that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 8, God gives this commentary on the state of humanity. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of heaven for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What a sadness is found in this passage. Man had no redeeming thoughts in his heart. Only evil continually. Farther on in chapter 6, Verse 13, God records, For the earth is filled with violence through them. People doing whatever violence necessary to satisfy their own appetites. And from verse 10 of our passage today, you might call them bold and willful utterly and only selfish. And so as the familiar, familiar uh, story goes in the rest of chapter 6 of Genesis, God instructed Noah to build an ark that would house all of God's created species and land the land-dwelling species, and, and they, along with Noah and his family, would be spared 
as God destroyed all living creatures, man and beast, by means of a worldwide flood. No place to hide from God's wrath and judgment. Again, a sobering story that shows what lengths and depths God's judgment can and will reach. When it comes to despising authority, being bold and selfish, there is no strength in numbers. God destroyed them all. God does not recognize the strength of the global union of iniquity workers. And third, Peter warns the wicked of God's judgment by that brought upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Another familiar story from Genesis 18 and 19. It's a story of judgment on those who practice immorality, unrestrained heterosexuality, and homosexuality. In chapter 18, the Lord, that is an Old Testament revealing of Jesus himself, with two powerful angels come to visit Abraham and Sarah. They come with the news that they're going to have a son. But they also come in order to visit Sodom and Gomorrah to see for themselves in a matter of speaking whether, as it says in Genesis 18:21, they have done all together according to the outcry that has come up to me. Ultimately, the two angels go down, and after a, a violent interaction with the townspeople that want to use them and abuse them sexually, the angels find out firsthand that it is as bad as they had heard. The angels have to grab Lot, his wife, and two of their daughters and drag them out of town because of their hesitancy to leave. When Lot and his family are sufficiently far away, Genesis 19, 24 and 25 tell us, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. What a frightening warning to those who give themselves to unrestrained sexual immorality of any and all kinds. Is this a warning of God's judgment on the prevailing moral behaviors of our day? Absolutely it is. Many would say these are just stories to scare you into someone else's way of living or controlling people. But these are not just stories. 
the Jordan River Valley in the area all around the Dead Sea is loaded with sulfur balls that appeared to have rained down from the land. This is in, this, in the Jordan River Valley today. It's a type of sulfur that is only consistent with the type found in meteorites. And there is massive evidence for a real, worldwide, catastrophic flood, just as it is described in Genesis. From the fossil record all around the world to seashells being found high up in the mountain ranges and boneyard areas of the massive number of animals that died. And the Grand Canyon that wasn't carved by the Colorado River. Peter's warnings really are for us today. For there's a coming day when God will judge the earth finally. As verse 10 says. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Do you despise authority? Do you despise God and what he says? Thinking little of or caring little of what God says? When you give in to your despising, it can feel so liberating and so good. You can hardly believe God would be against it. But its way leads to death, destruction. And so while Peter warns of judgment to come upon the ungodly, he also reassures the righteous of rescue by that given to Noah. God preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. Genesis 6, 8 records Noah as one who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The King James reads, Now Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Favor and grace, they're the same word. This is the first mention of the word grace in the Bible. And I like what these two commentaries on this verse say. One is, now for the first time, grace finds a tongue to express its name. That's from an old guy named Murphy. And it clearly signifies the same thing as what the New Testament teaches. The gratuitous favor of God to sinful man. Matthew Poole writes, Noah obtained mercy and favor, which is noted to show that Noah was so far guilty of the common corruption of human nature that he needed God's grace and mercy to pardon and preserve him from the common destruction. You see, Noah was rescued by grace. 
The same grace that gifts a person today with saving faith in Jesus Christ. The same faith that was said of Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis 15 and 6. And you can see that Noah did believe God because he built an ark. No doubt at the cost of great ridicule from his friends and his neighbors. And at great cost in years of patient labor. Noah was a man of faith and therefore righteous before God. The next verse in chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Peter also calls Noah a herald of righteousness. While Noah was occupied building the ark for 120 years, Imagine the opportunities he had to preach repentance and faith in God. But while he preached, none listened. Nobody listened. Does that speak to the heart of man? Nobody listened to God. Noah was rescued through his faith and obedience, yet by grace. He built the ark in obedience to God, and he and his family and the animals were rescued from the flood. The ark is a beautiful picture in the, in the Old Testament of Christ in the New Testament. As Noah was in the ark... Are you in Christ? Peter is reassuring the righteous, those in Christ, of rescue from the judgment of God. And Peter gives another example of rescue, that of Lot. Verse 7 and 8. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Lot was Abraham's nephew that followed him out of the land of Ur and into Canaan. They were both shepherds. And they had to split company when their flocks and herds became too great. Abraham stayed in the highlands and Lot saw the lush pastures of the Jordan River Valley below and he went there. But really he ended up in Sodom. Genesis 12 and 13 tells the story. It's kind of a sad story of a righteous man living in a godless place. He was a righteous, he was righteous by the same means that Noah was righteous. 
by faith. But it's a hard story to reconcile. A, a righteous man whose heart was in Sodom. How can that be? Maybe it was just that his family was embedded there. But I think it pictures a Christian locked into living in a compromising situation. It's not a happy place to live, but rather a place of distress and torment of soul day after day. Is that where you're living today? In, an, in a way of compromise. Can the Lord rescue you? He says he can. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the righteous from trial. This is the kind of trial that leads to destruction, to ultimate damnation. But the story of Lot is not a pretty one. It's ugly. Lot and his wife and only two of his daughters had to be dragged out of Sodom by the angels. What would that look like in your life? I don't know. Even then, Lot's wife died because she disobeyed and looked back in longing for Sodom. I close thinking about how suddenly life can turn. One minute you think you're fine. The next minute is disaster. Jesus spoke of people like that in, in Matthew 24, verse 38 and 39. He said, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They were just living life like normal until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So they will, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Why were they unaware? Because they quit listening. They did not listen to God. Noah was preaching. God always has a voice for those who will listen. And the flood came and swept them all away. Life plays for keeps. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is coming again. But this time it's to judge not to save, not to offer himself as a sacrifice. But there's another kind of turn that life can take. That is when the lost are found, the blind see, the lame walk, 
and those in darkness see the great light. When those at odds with God are given peace with God through Jesus Christ. When the sinner hears that God forgives sins and declares righteous those that in repentant faith place their trust in Christ alone and are born again to a new and living hope, being transferred from the kingdom of darkness and wrath into the kingdom of light and life and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be said of these people, and they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Rescued from wanton pleasure and eternal wrath. I don't think this is a message that you're going to hear from false teachers. But rather from someone such as Noah. May it be that we seek the Lord today while he may be found. Our God in heaven, your word is like a hammer that just breaks the rock to pieces. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here with a, a rock for a heart, a rock for a head, that you would break that down today, that they would turn to you in faith and repentance and accept your gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, <coughs> being rescued from your coming wrath. <coughs> May our heart hear this message today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>